Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Detective John Hobbs wants to uncover the truth. What does a zazel mean? Now, my dictionary says that evil spirit of the wilderness. Walk away, Mr. Hobbs. But nothing in this world is on my side. Can help him solve this case. There are angels. Some of these angels were cast down, and a few of the fallen were punished by being deprived of fun. Come on, get out of here. And each touch. And at the execution, did he try and touch you? Yeah, he did, actually. Passes the soul of a killer into someone new. Well, I believe what I see, and I'm still trying to get my mind around what I just saw. Some things, pal, you shouldn't know. I know you, Hobbs. Put the gun down. I know who you are. Put the gun down! Is on my side. Hey, pal. My work is based upon evidence. And aren't your facts resistant to normal interpretation? Hey, Hobbs. You leave my family alone. And I'm still having fun. Denzel Washington. How do we fight him? Is it even possible? I believe it is. John Goodman. Josie, you know I didn't do this. I know that, Hobbs. Donald Sutherland. I know you know more than you're saying. <laughs> Haven't you done enough, huh? Time is on my side. Fallen. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I am your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined by my co-host... Kyle! Kyle. Terrence is still away, so we're still going to keep going because the show must go on. Time is on our side. <laughs> I thought he was going to break out to a song here for a second. <laughs> go ahead, Kyle, take it away. Time 
friend is on our side. Uh, if you know what he's singing and you've seen the title of this movie, then you will understand the importance of that song in this movie. Yeah. Uh, this is episode 73 where we'll be discussing the movie Fallen. Uh, this was my first time watching it. I had caught a little glimpse, the ending of it on TV, and I was like, why in the world was this movie? Um, well, we'll, we'll get there. It's I out won't, there. I, yeah. won't, I, won't, I won't ruin Spoiler it right away. now. Yeah. Right. Um, so, Kyle, before we get started, let me go ahead and throw a question your way. Okay, go for Kyle, it. Kyle. Shoot, I'm ready. This is the first Denzel Washington movie we have covered on this podcast, and it's been over two years, so it's a long time coming. Wow. What do you think is Denzel's greatest role he's been in? Denzel's greatest role. Oh man, that's a good question. <laughs> He's been in a lot of good movies. That's that's the thing where it's like I feel like I, I haven't paid enough respect to the man to watch more of his movies. Because for me, like my immediate answer to my head is like the one I enjoyed him the most in was probably Man on Fire. But that's also like more of like a personal choice to me. That's why I mean, I mean there's Training Day. Yeah, I mean, there's Training Day. There's, there's John Q, which there's is an outstanding movie. Yeah, there was I mean, Equalizer. There's Flight. There's a ton of good movies. Like he's he's excellent in everything he's in. So it's hard to like personally like Man on Fire. That's my favorite. But like what like what is like definitively objectively probably his closest best film. I don't know. Right. I wouldn't even get the answer. What's your favorite um Denzel film? Jeff? Man, this film was really good. Uh, Fallen was really good. It was, uh, and and you know we'll get to the cast later. But you know him and John Goodman together on screen was oh, really yeah. really good. And Donald Sutherland's in there too. But um, man, John Q just tugs at your heartstrings, man. You know what John I mean? Q also excellent, definitely. Like that. So that that probably be mine. I mean, what are you gonna do when a father can't afford the surgery of his son, and you go into the emergency room and hold up the entire hospital? We got to add it to the backlog. Yeah, now. it's it's it's, it's, gonna it's gotta be on there. Because, yeah, that's so, I've watched that film a few times, too. John Key is a great movie. So here we are. Episode 73, Kyle. Take yep. her away. Take her away. Okay, Fallen. Released in January 16th, 1998. A little more of a modern film this time around. Directed by Gregory Hoblet. Writer was Nicholas Kazan. Producers were Charles Robin and Don Steele. Composer was Dunn Tan. Cinematographer was Newton Thomas Sigil. Editor was Lawrence Jordan. Casting director was David Rubin. And production designer was Terrence Marsh. Moving on, we got the opening weekend. Box office was $10.4 million. Great opening weekend. I mean, pretty excellent for the time, at least. And gross worldwide, but in this case, worldwide is also just America and Canada, was $25.2 million, which in today's value would be approximately $41.9, close to $42 million. Did you happen to know the budget offhand? What they had to spend? Budget offhand, I do not know it off the top of my head. Have to follow that in the of uh, the, you know, Terrence definitely knew it. He just he couldn't make it this time, but Terrence had the information on it on hand. I'm sure. Um, they said the budget was forty six million U S dollars. Forty six million U S dollars. So actually, that sounds like a, like it kind of bombed, unfortunately. <laughs> but hey, you, you you sell merchandise, you go on TV, you make the money back one way or another after twenty seven years. <laughs> So that's they'll be fine. I think Denzel did well after this, still, didn't he? <laughs> right, and and something that Kyle and I was uh, looking up, and Kyle was just amazed by, is that there was a book written in uh, of the movie in 1990. So if you have a copy of this book, you might want to look. 
it is selling for like eight hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, almost nine hundred dollars of just like yeah. It, it, I think it, I think it's just an adaptation of the movie in book form. Like they do that on, on Iconic Occasion too. I got one for like Pacific Rim and stuff. Right. <laughs> I didn't expect to see that. Like mass mass market paperback eight hundred fifty five dollars. Like what? <laughs> That's ridiculous. But I imagine there's it's been out of print. And you just can't find it anywhere. So that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I have to resurrect old comic book online someday. All right, moving on to the um, technical details here. We have a runtime of 124 minutes. The sound mix was in Dolby Digital. Color info: This was color. The aspect ratio: This is 2.39 by one. I believe that's around the uh, 20. Uh, well, even further than the 21 by nine aspect ratio. So it's a thinner movie. You know, top and bottom. Camera, we have the Panavision Panaflex Platinum, the Panavision Primo and E-Series lenses, slash the Panavision Panaflex Millennium, and the Panavision Primo and E-Series lenses. I think I just said the same name four times. <laughs> <laughs> They're Panavision cameras, guys. <laughs> that's that's all I know. <laughs> Laboratory was Technicolor Hollywood, California, in the U.S. of A. Film length is... Uh, 3,441 meters for the Canadian version. I believe that's about... Ooh, I don't really realize that was. I haven't, I haven't marked down either, so I believe it's close to around 9 reels, I believe. It, it, in today's... In, in, like, old terms, it was that. For the negative format, it was in 35 millimeters on Kodak. Process, again, was Panavision and amorphic lenses. And printed format was 35 millimeters. Next up, moving on to filming locations... This one kind of went all across the U.S. of A. Uh, first off, we got Holmesburg Prison in uh, in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, U.S. of A. Pat's King of Steaks at um, twelve thirty-seven <laughs> South uh, Passyunk Passing Avenue, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA, for the street scenes. Got to go to Pat's King of Steaks. That sounds like a great place, doesn't it? <laughs> that sounds like it's either like the it's like it's like really really good food or it's the worst food in the best way. Either way, I'm excited <laughs> to go. <laughs> Next up, we got Culver's Studios and Washington Boulevard, Culver City, California, in the U.S. of A. And then we got Pennsylvania, USA, of course, New York. Then we got the Bear Mountain Bridge in New York, Los Angeles, California, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Whew. So you think and the Pine Barrens was the end scene? Yeah, Pine Barrens was definitely like the end scene and the very beginning scene too. Right. Just like the it was the it was the uh, bookends for the show is the Pine Barrens for sure. Next up, we're moving on to Terrence's favorite part and one of my favorite parts and blah, 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 awards. Nothing happened. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a little too mean. It got three nominations. Um, one from the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. It was nominated for the Chainsaw Award for Best <laughs> Score for Danton. Just nominated. No, no clear winner there. Next up, in 1999, it was nominated for the International Horror Guild. Um, for the best movie of that year, and did not win. <laughs> and then in 1998, it was next, it was nominated for the Bram St- Bram Stoker Award for best screenplay, um, and was not did not win. And that covers the awards for Fallen of 1998. Moving on, we got my part, which I always do such a great job at. We have the <laughs> cast. Right here. Such a great job. You did it at Diddy's at breakfast. I, I, I did it at the last minute. Exactly. I, I got some. 
I got some real like I I handwrite all this stuff and it looks like a doctor wrote all this. He does just, handwrite it. it hey, then he won't be able to read, then he won't be able to read your own handwriting. Like, it's like it's like Denzel Swishington, right? That's what I wrote. That's what I wrote. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, anyways, we have Denzel Washington as John Hobbs and the movie's narrator. Um, of course, yeah, you'll recognize Denzel Washington from a dozens and dozens of movies such as Man on Fire, John Q, Train Day, Equalizer, American Gangster. Just a incredible actor, probably the uh, out there, probably like probably the most famous African American actor of Hollywood today. Probably, I probably go that far. I he's agree. accomplished a lot. He's accomplished a great deal, and I put him out there like it's like I think it was like how many movies he's been he, in, like Morgan Freeman. Or, he's definitely probably in my top five favorite actors, um, it, just because every role he does is just on point. Oh yeah, no. He just he's a, he's a consummate performer. He does everything uh, with so much work and does a great job at everything he does. So, no, uh, it's, it's all, all his rewards were well deserved, in my opinion. Yeah. So next up, moving on, we have the legendary John Goodman playing Jonesy, who's a uh, who's John Hobbs' best friend in this movie, basically. And of course, you'll know John Goodman from Monsters Inc., which we covered just a few <laughs> weeks ago. Um, also, of course, uh, Big Lebowski. Um, he was co-star of Roseanne for the Roseanne Show for uh, I want to say. 50 years. <laughs> was it, it was uh, like 10 Cloverfield Lane? I think he was 10 in. Cloverfield Lane, another good one. He you did not put the Flintstones no, I, I did. I put I the Flintstones down. I love the Flintstones. I, I'm, I'm a he did pretty good as Fred. He, he did a decent Fred. I want to say, he didn't he return for the sequel too? I believe he did. I believe I he returned for the sequel, but they got a different actor to be uh, Barney. Uh, Barney, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, John Goodman, also a legendary actor. Love him to death. And uh, he's also in uh, oh, Kong Skull Island was like the last thing we were him being in. Besides that, I don't I don't know what he's done recently, but I'm sure he's done. I'm sure he's doing good work. It's always good to see John Goodman. Next up, we have uh, I'm going to mess this up. Um, Beth Davidwitz, I believe that's name, playing her name. She's playing Greta Millens. Um, you'll recognize her as basically the teacher from Matilda, um, the love interest mother and grandmother in Bicentennial Man. Wow, <laughs> she wore she wore many hats in that movie. <laughs> I, I like Bicentennial. That's one of my little gems I find a little favorite. Um, she's also in the entire Evil Dead series, Evil Dead 1, 2, and Army of Darkness. And she was in Schindler's List, so has a great career in own right as well. Next up, we have the third um, police officer. We have Donald Sutherland, who plays Lieutenant Staten. Um, Donald Sutherland, also a legendary character actor in his own right. been in dozens on dozens of films easily. I, can't, I don't have the full list on hand, but... Um, he was in the the MASH movie. He was in my favorite World War II movie, Kelly's Heroes. Um, he was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He was in the Hunger Games movies and Space Cowboy and many others. So Donald Sutherland, great to see around here. And then um, next up, we have the late, great James Gandolfini playing Lou. James Gandolfini, of course, known for his legendary role as Tony Soprano in The Soprano Show. Now, deeply missed that guy. wish he was still acting today. But, of course, he passed away, I want to say, about five years ago now. Sad deal. He was also, uh, his last movie was Enough Said, um, also appeared in the movie True Romance, and a 2009 adaptation of uh, Where the Wild Things Are, that kid's movie that was really, really good. Mm-hmm. So uh, James Gandolfini, just a legendary actor, perfect actor, wish he was still doing stuff today, unfortunately he passed away. Yeah. Next up we have Elias Codius, who Jimbo did a very nature to nail down in my head that I gotta say it first and foremost, he was in the Teenage Mutant Ninja, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series as Casey Jones, Hockey Excellent. Mask. Excellent. That is... I, I, you know, <laughs> first I was putting other roles in front of that, but I was like, no, no, of course, that's his role. That's that's his memory, his legacy. And I, watching this movie, I did not put two and two together that that's who that was. The, the 
Yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> this he not, looks so totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he doesn't have the long hair. He's like shaved head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, wow. And I feel like, oh, like, not this role specifically, but like one, of the, like some of the roles he's had, he has such a bad guy face. <laughs> right. In such a weird way. Like it's such a weird profiling thing that Hollywood does. Where like he like almost all his roles are usually bad guys. Casey Jones, the one time you really get to play a good character, but it's kind of a bad guy playing as a good yeah, character. You know, bad I mean? boy being right. a good guy. Yeah, bad boy hero. <laughs> But still, Elias Cody is like, um, he was in a, uh, he plays Edgar, the character Edgar Reese. He was also in the movie Shooter in 2007, A Thin Red Line, Shutter Island, and uh, Crash. So he's been around the block a few times in movies. Good actor in his own right. I've seen him do more stuff too. Next up, we have Gabriel Casius playing Art. Um, you recognize him from movies like Black Dog and Bedazzled. Um, not too many, not too many other movies under his belt, but those two notable. Next up, we got Robert Joy playing Charles. Um, he was in a few seasons of CSI New York and Land of the Dead, um, the movie A Whole New Thing, and Sword of Gideon. And last up, we have Michael J. Pagan playing Sam. He was in movies Up, Up, and Away, and Hell Stella got her groove back. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and that is the cast of Fallen 1998. All right, Kyle. So. Uh... If I ask you, Kyle, give me a synopsis of this movie. How are you going to present this to somebody that's never seen this? Like you were doing the trailer in a land of what you know exactly. I mean? You know, it's like you know, a, a, you know, a New York police detective is getting caught up in a serial killer who he already captured, but now his killings are continuing, and he's discovering that it might be a supernatural cause to all of it. And, and I think the, that like the, the hook. I think I think we need to go back and talk about basically uh, the movie just for a second as we go through. You know, just give an overview of the movie. Edgar Reese, who played a lot by was played by Elias Cotes, he is a serial killer. Yeah. And at the the whole beginning of the movie, it's about Denzel going to watch. They're going to execute him, mm-hmm. and he he goes in to talk to him one last time, and uh, he shakes his hand and he starts speaking in like Syrian Arabic uh, or Aramaic or whatever, basically a dead language, or basically practically a dead language, right? That, that nobody knew what was going on, but they had like a documentary crew filming him and all that. So basically, he goes out into the uh, uh, gas chamber. Gas chamber. And does he sing the song here? That's where he, he the starts song the first singing time. "Time on Time on My Side." Yeah. Yes, um, I do. <laughs> so uh, that song is played throughout the entire movie. Well, he's put to death. Like uh, the gas chamber fills up, or whatever, and you see um, through the eyes of I guess we'll call it uh, his perspective. Or uh, we'll call it the, the it. demonic entity uh, oh, okay, named yeah. Azazel, uh, mm-hmm. and the, that you come to find out throughout the movie. It goes up throughout the chamber, and it goes to like one of the security guards. Yeah, and. Uh, basically, this entity can be passed on to somebody else just by touch. So if, if, if you're walking down the street and you have this in you, all you have to do is like shake somebody's hand and, it would, and the entity would jump from your body to this other person's body. Then if he bumped into somebody else or he bumped into a girl, she would take it. It could bump it to a kid. It could bump it to a school teacher. So there's basically no real way to capture this thing. Yeah. So yeah. the murders start happening again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and Edgar Reese, who was the killer, said, look, I may not get to you right away, he said, but I'm going to destroy your life from the inside out. Yeah. So the whole entire movie is this uh, demonic entity trying to destroy 
John Denzel, Hobbs. John Hobbs is uh, breaking down. His man. entire career, kill everyone he loves, take uh, like destroy everyone he loves. His whole career, his legacy, everything. But there's yeah. also a subplot to this, I guess you will, is that there was a police. Uh, he's dropping little clues for him. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, like every murder scene, there'll be like numbers on somebody's chest, or there'll be like a hidden message written on a wall. Um, and finally, you know, it, like the first one was what becomes between this and this, and you go back to the police station, and on like the Policeman of the Year award or whatever, there's two names missing. Mm-hmm. So he's dropping subtle hints about, hey, so this gets Denzel going, and he starts basically this subplot is, why is this cop dead? You know, was it murder? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't know what's going on. Essentially, yeah, essentially he goes to an investigation, find out that a similar process has happened to a cop before, that like this isn't the first time that Azalea, this, this demonic force, has um, destroyed another police officer's life and played this game and won. Right. So it hits him discovering and figuring out a way to try and hopefully beat the demon. So along the way, I mean, and what's really cool about this movie is that when it goes in, when you're seeing it from the perspective of Azazel is it goes into like this slow motion like off color green and red uh, amber colored tint so you, it's also kind of like a floating shot that's right. kind of like flying through environments so you can yeah. you can watch uh, you can watch him watching Denzel at times you know uh, mm-hmm. or Hobbs if you will uh, so every time you see that you know that it's coming from him and um, this this movie had me on the edge of my seat it was really good because you never knew what was going to happen but like there is one scene in particular where uh it's in the police department and one guy starts singing it you know one of the policemen and he ta- it's, it bumps into another guy he starts singing it, he's turning around and looking at Denzel and they're like hey why are you singing that why are you singing that so Denzel's basically chasing this guy through the whole he's touching everybody so he's chasing yeah. this entity and they go outside and you know it touches an old lady and she's like look you need to stop you're only going to find danger and then she'll touch her husband's hand and he's like, yeah, you better just give up now. And so he's trying to say, hey, hey wait, you know, and he, it's very interesting and very on the edge of your seat. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes it so clear just how, like, like, the odds are stacked against John Hobbs' favor at the very beginning because it's like, how could you possibly fight something like this? Who's basically just like, it It doesn't even, you know, it, it's, it's an entity that breaks all the rules in, like, a fun way. Like, they don't put any limitations on this demon, really. Like, he can jump from person to person. They even had a case where, like, he... he um, John Hobbs is forced to shoot down basically a, a teacher who had been possessed by the demon already. But even if the, even if you kill the vessel, the, the person that this demon is inhabiting, he can still kind of like transfer himself to the next nearest body. But that's and they said they said it had to be within what three hundred yards? I think was that it? Or? Something close. It was it was some kind of Arabic pace or something like that. I forget the terminology they used, but it was something like it was some kind of three hundred units, something like that. Of uh, I forget the particular measurement, like feet or meters or whatever. Yeah, right. yeah but it was some other term. I right. Exactly. So as long as there was something in that area that they could possess, he then just he kinda, just jumped from body can, to body. Yeah, just, and basically when that um, the guy comes out on the street and Denzel pulls his gun on him, he's like, "Look, Hobbs, you know you you can't stop me, mm-hmm. you know." And and you see as soon as Hobbs the guy draws his gun to shoot Hobbs and Hobbs kills him, you see the the demon just go up and just go into that that lady. You know, that lady yeah. is creepy. Uh, and she just starts talking smack to him. No, you really think that you could stop me that easily or whatever? Yeah, you know? yeah, like so this. now the cops come. Now Denzel's in trouble. Now they make him turn in his gun and his badge. So along the way, he runs into, I forget her name, in the movie, Greta, I think. Yes, Greta Millens. He runs there, and she know her dad was part of the whole... Her, her dad was the police officer that, who had been right. uh, basically framed by the demon, basically. Right, and so 
She's she doesn't want to help him at first. She's like, look, you just need to leave it alone. You need to go away. You don't want any part of this. Yeah, I, the yeah. only the only yeah, her only like path to survival is distance in her mind. Like if I just stay away from everyone, maybe I'll survive. Which seems to be actually the working plan for her and maybe the best course of action. But Denzel wants to fight the demon basically and try and solve this crime. Right. So uh, there's that other interesting scene in this movie where. Uh, Greta is walking and uh, yeah, she, she actually gets like uh, trapped by the demon but doesn't touch her just kind of like tries to interrogate her right um, without touching her basically like, pins her against a wall and puts both arms to the side of the wall to make sure she can't like escape easily this was another great scene because I think like somebody's bringing in like a, a, either a rack of clothes or a food or something if I remember right mm-hmm. something that kind of bumps into him yeah and she starts running and this is where he's like ah he just starts touching like the delivery man that touches it's like a chain reaction you know as yeah. she's running all they're doing is reach out and touch the person from so it's very like right on her tail it's really good it shows just how instantaneous his like rule is like it's not like some kind of like a thing really has to leave a body then goes back in it's like instantaneous the moment he makes contact with somebody else he's already inside that body and taking full control of it and he's moving on to the next body and it's a really cool demonstration of just how incredibly powerful this entity is and how dangerous he is and like, I think she ends up jumping into a cab and doesn't he like break the window or something yeah 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 like like the like the, the vessel like the, the body basically like busts his head through the window to try and break in there and then the taxi driver drives off immediately because like he also freaks out yeah, and drives off flips, and she gets flips away. him off the car or whatever crazy Um, but i mean it has some intense moments in this movie um so basically you know hobbs just keeps pushing her for information and hobbs has a brother and he has a a nephew yeah i i guess it's his nephew right yeah it's Um, his nephew even though like it's clear that his brother has uh um mental deficiency of some degree right um either through either to just uh either from birth or from possible um drug habits or something like that possible permanent effects from that and uh yeah and his nephew is uh, essentially like his surrogate son that he kind of takes care of in a mean wife way right so he, he takes care of both his his young his brother and his brother's son right so um and denzel's caring for him he lives with him um but you know that the Azazel just keeps coming after him, and it gets to the point where he's still killing people, and it even uh, he kills uh, his brother, mm-hmm. and that's a sad scene because the police are coming. They know, you know, John Goodman's telling him like, "Look, you need to turn yourself in." Uh, Donald Sutherland's like, "Look, you just don't want to open this up because there's things that are happened in this case long ago that you don't need. To, they just need to be stayed dead." Yeah, and it's also clear that um, another thing we haven't really mentioned, like all these murders going on, have been meticulously planned by the demon to basically kind of make it where uh, making John Hobbs a plausible suspect for these murders, actually suspecting Denzel mm-hmm. of being responsible for these murders, and even in the case of his brother, actually, it's um, it's not like he like the brother like kills himself with a gun. Actually, he gets drugs and ODs in the bed, something like that. Something that would be a very believable death for him unfortunately or something mm-hmm. like that so the whole the whole um, thing has like a plausible deniability where it's like it's like no one would think it's a demon people think it's just like this police officer basically just lost it and decided to do serial killer stuff himself to install his legacy so it's a very meticulous plan to frame John Hobbs for all this so basically uh, Denzel's like tells his, uh, his uh, nephew he says look Pack your bags. We're leaving because the cops think I did something bad. Yeah, and you know they run. They jump out the window as soon as the cops pull up. They jump out the window, and that teacher looks at him and just smiles and gives him a wink or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah so he takes off. Um, it shows him like under the bridge with like the homeless people. Um, they go on the subway, I think, mm-hmm. and then he goes and knocks on the window of Greta. He's like, "Look, we have nowhere else to go." He's like, "I haven't. I didn't do any of this." 
And he's like, you will watch after him no matter what happens, right? Because he wants to make sure that his nephew is. Yeah. So another subplot of this movie is Denzel and Greta have both been working together to try to figure out how to stop this force. Um, They, you know, he's, 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 they've called in expert um, people about the language that was used. Um, yeah, and interpret the, the footage they got from the documentary right. for Edgar Edgar Reese. Yeah, um, and she's she's got all of her works out about how to stop it. They said, look, the only way you can kill this thing is if it doesn't have another host to go inside of within three hundred. We're going to say three hundred yards. Yeah, I'll just say three hundred yards. Uh, I can't remember the exact around the distance. Yeah. So um, Denzel's like, well, he's like, I got a plan. Um, so he goes and finds himself at. His father's, uh, no, her uh, father's, uh, Greta's father's cabin, right yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. And he won't tell John Goodman and him where he's going. He's like, "Hey, I'm just checking in." And he's like, "Well, where are you at? Where are you going?" He's like, "Well, I'm going far away. You know, I'll be okay." So, as he's sitting there, you know, he's coming up with all kinds of things he's going to do. He's got his gun, um, and he's he's like, "Okay, where are you at? Come get me or whatever." And he hears a noise in the woods, and here comes around the corner. Donald Sutherland's character, Lieutenant Staten. Uh, Staten. And he's like, look, I told you to leave this alone. You know, there's things here that you don't need to dive into. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me? And then you see uh, John, John uh, not, Goodman's not, not, character. John Goodman's character, Jonesy. Jonesy come out. His best friend He's like, look, he's at Hobbs. You know, John, we've been partners for like 12 years, I think. Um, you know, we're friends, whatever. And, uh, and you need to like, put your gun down. Put you your gun to- down and, and we'll take you in. So... Denzel puts his gun down, I do believe. Yeah, he does. And then uh, they go, he's like, Sutherland's like, okay, go handcuff him or whatever. And this is where, uh, basically... It hits the fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jonesy, basically, uh, Jonesy shoots, shoots Donald, Donald Sutherland in the head. Kills the him. Yeah. And it's basically, Azazel has now taken over his partner's body. So, uh, as he does that, Denzel runs back into the house. And now you have this cat and mouse... Uh, situation going on where he's yeah. trying to find and this is where john goodman is doing the best rendition of the song too of right <laughs> he puts on that that jazzy twang to it or whatever it's called a drawl yeah. um john goodman made that song his own for that movie so this but, uh, is where denzel circles back around i think he grabs the, the, his gun he dropped yeah grabs his gun dropped and uh he, he basically they have a bit of a cat and mouse of a gunfight and uh, eventually i believe Either he stabs him, or either he, either he stabs him. But when he gets, gets he gets punctured in the gut, Jonesy's character, and so he's clear it's about he's about to die. Yeah, he's he's up but against he's still he's not, up against the car. Or remember this, his yeah. car leaning down, and they're having this talk again. He's bleeding out. Like as soon as I die, I'm going to go right to your body, so you'll find. Yeah. So I'm I'm good. <laughs> I won still. He you said, know, even though he's dying. He says, "Well, why do you think we're out here? You know what I mean?" He's mm-hmm. like, "So uh, he starts taking off running because he thinks if he well, makes he, the cigarette, the cigarette scene, forget the cigarette." Well, go ahead and tell it. Okay, okay, I'll, okay, I'll tell it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, as soon as, like, you know, John Gidman's character Jonesy is dying there, bleeding out, um, Denzel Washington's character John Hobbs pulls out a cigarette and starts smoking. And he hasn't smoked in a long time. He's yeah, quit. he quit smoking. And even Jonesy takes it and is like, I thought you quit smoking. He's like, I did, I did. But I took this special cigarette, and it's clear, and he says, like, I, 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 I laced the stuff with the same poison you used to kill my brother. Yeah. <laughs> and he loses his, and, and Jonesy, now the demon, is just losing his mind because 
like, I can't believe you just did this. You're going to kill yourself and kill me <laughs> in this whole process. And so he smokes a cigarette, and as he's smoking a cigarette, Jonesy dies, and the Asriel, the spirit of Asriel leaves and then takes over uh, John Hobbs' body. But the poison's already taken effect, so he just takes off running into the, running into the, um, the snow, trying to go anywhere else, trying to figure out what to do. And then he just falls and collapses dead, and <laughs> his spirit leaves Jonesy's body, and he just realizes, like, I, I am you know, I am you know, I am screwed basically. Yeah. So you see this thing float around and, and there's like um you and know, then get the narration then of the demon. Yeah. yeah, so 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 the entire time you're watching this movie, the narration is is Denzel Washington's voice because it opens up with Denzel falling in the snow like that and it says, I'm gonna tell you about the time I almost died. So this entire time you're thinking it's Denzel Washington that's speaking like, hey, I almost died here. Like he beat the demon somehow. Right. So <laughs> then you come to find out that the entire time that Denzel's narrating is actually Azazel in Denzel's voice, which I talked to Kyle about this, is every time that Denzel goes into a narration, was the demon present? Like, was there a... A, a, a vector for him to be vector, present in some way, yeah. Right. Um, so we, we I put that to the test. I think there is. Um, in some way or another, um, where it goes into like the weird. Well, even regardless, it is established very on that once the demon inhabits his body, he gets all their memories and places like that. So he can actually fill out that whole history of Denzel's character in this story in that last narration because the narration is after the story's already right. ended, where he's talking about how he died. So and he's like, you know, you thought you could kill me. He's like, but you forgot about something, and you see this cat walk out, and he takes over the cat. The cat just walks away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very well done. Very good movie. Had my interest. And that's the part I seen. I seen where John Goodman dies and he falls in the snow and it goes on the couch before I watched all of it. Yeah. And I was like, what is this movie? What is going on? Very good movie. Um, we'll talk about a little a few things real quick. Um, so basically, uh, during the pre-production, uh, Elias Cotis, Cotius? Elias Cotius, yeah. yeah uh, traveled to Ohio to meet a man who could speak Syrian Aramaic to help him with his dialogue. The man was, sure, I'll help you. He's like, but guess what? We're not going to use the curse words that you want me to use for my religious reasons. Mm-hmm. So they were like, well, well, they just found somebody else that would do it. And he's like, yeah, well, no problem. I'll do it for you. <laughs> uh, you got to get it done for the script. You know, it's about the story necessarily. You know, Denzel. respect that, you know, like I didn't want to use the language. Denzel, um, for preparation for his work, rode around with uh, local detectives to prepare for his role. Um, he also learned that some cops carry a second pair of shoes in the trunk of their cars while on duty since the shoes they were wearing would occasionally get blood on them at murder scenes so they probably had to bag them for evidence so i like it when actors and actresses like jodie foster did it in silence of the lambs you know where they go and work with um the individual careers that they're being put on you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so uh here in a second so um also that uh John Hobbs, his name, is actually based on two philosophers from the 17th century. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Hobbs and John Locke. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I agree with you, though. I think it's actually pretty cool when actors do the professional um, thing where they where they try and get experience on the job of the at the, the characters they play. So, like, you know, like a, you said, Jody Foster and Sounds of the Lambs doing that. And also appreciate a lot when, uh, you know, other professions, too. I know a few actors, like... Um, uh, 
oh, what was his name? He was in Star Trek and uh, Charlie Bartlett. Um, he did like roles to become actual like um, psychological. Uh, he, he did like small therapist work in the Charlie Bartlett movie. So he actually did the work to actually read psychological textbooks to actually become qualified to be a therapist. Basically, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it sounds like an insane amount of work for just like one role. But he did the whole thing and uh, pretty incredible stuff there. And uh, a lot of that, a lot of the actors go that far or so like. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't remember you know, the name. The guy who plays Happy Hogan in, in Iron Man, the John Favreau, John Favreau, um, did a whole thing of like actually learning how to be a proper chef for his movie. Um, I believe it was just called Chef, but similar stuff where like actors go through these tremendous links to learn the ins and outs of those professions and get all the fun stuff to be as accurate as possible. So I agree, very cool. So back to John Hobbes' two names of the 17th century philosophers, um, Thomas Hobbes and John Locke. Hobbes thought that men were evil and needed the constraints of society to make them better. Locke thought that men are thinking, rational creatures capable of peaceful coexistence. Very interesting because you see both of those themes in this movie. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you, you can see both of them. Absolutely, I agree. There's definitely echoes of that in the whole story. Uh, the role of Jonesy was written especially for John Goodman. Uh, he said, I want this guy to be him, so he wrote it as if John Goodman was playing a character. Now, I always wondered when they write something like this for somebody and they turn it down, do they have to go back and rewrite stuff? I, yeah, <laughs> I, I know they do. Like they do even like casting calls today and in the past of like we want a John Goodman like or we want a this actor like, like a, like the Tinsel like, and then the real actor comes in auditions and still doesn't get the role. So even if you're writing the role for John Goodman, if you don't get it, they still always find somebody in the place that's fits pretty well surprisingly. But yeah, that's that's that is it is funny when it doesn't happen like that. But uh, still. <laughs> Um, the very first day of shooting was a scene uh, was going to be the scene where uh, Hobbs comes to the cabin for the first time. Um, there was a torrential rainstorm that passed through the area at the time, uh, so the producer uh, Charles Roven decided, "Hey, I'm going to go ahead and send the equipment truck out to location very early." Uh, and then they had to reschedule or earlier in the schedule because it was so early because it was still dark. However, due to it being dark and rain falling heavily and visibility being poor. On the way to the cabin, via the access road, the truck hit a tree, completely (laughs) blocking off the road. By the time the truck was cleared, uh, it was nearly nighttime again, uh, and no shooting could be done in the dark. So one day into production, the film was already one day behind schedule. Charles Roman said that this first day was the worst day of his entire career. I bet, I bet. Here you are spending how spending God knows how much money just for one day of production, hundreds of thousand dollars probably, and like have everything go wrong right at the beginning of production. And, just, and you oh, have you have to shoot that scene at a certain part, a yeah. certain time of day because that affects the go, end not, of the you movie. You got to get it done. Yeah, right. you got to get it done. You got to get it done right, and you just everything went wrong. Oh man, I feel so bad for him. Uh, in post production, this film was processed by using a technique known as E and R which deepens the shadows and lightens highlights, but doesn't alter any of the primary colors. So I thought that was pretty cool, too. Pretty impressive technology, especially for 1998. Now, this is a pretty interesting um, fact I found, is the train station sign is for Willoughby, which is a tribute to the Twilight Zone episode of the same name, which is one of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone season one. I love that little reference. That's great. I like that. And I know ADZ will get a kick out of it when he he listens to this and he notices, hey, that's in there. So... Mm-hmm. Um, the pre-scene house and squad room used in these is from the long-running television show a series NYPD Blue. Do you remember NYPD Makes Blue? Kyle? Uh, never was a, a, a little before a little before my time, but yeah, it's a good show. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for the role of John Hobbs. You know why? Why? Because as Azazel, 
he'll be back. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, all the scenes involving Reese um, were shot at the start of principal photography. The uh, Gregory Hoblet was so impressed with the physicality of Cotillas' performance that he insisted everyone who subsequently became possessed by Azazel must move in a similar manner. So actors Robert Joy, who plays Charles Oldman, James Gandolfini Lou, Bob Roommate, who plays the school teacher, and Terry Carnes, who plays the young girl, all studied Cotillas' performance before shooting their own possessed scenes. That's really so impressive. That's impressive that just from his physicality in the performance, you know. Outstanding. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he like he comes off as an incredibly like aggressive or almost like not necessarily animal like, but definitely like a predator of, of the scene that he's in where like even even when he's in a cage, it's clear that he's a dangerous person to be around to. Right. So he's kinda like Silence of the Lamb, uh, Hannibal Lecter. You know, they got him in the cage and he's still manipulating people uh, from the I outside. I agree. They're definitely you know channeling a lot of that energy for sure. You know, this is this is terrible here. So you know the scene where uh, Hobbs tells Sam, "Hey, your father's dead." Blah blah blah. Uh, <laughs> but but hey, your father's dead. Blah blah blah. That's basically <laughs> what it is. And the kid's like, "I know." You're, you're, you're right. You're right. I mean, that, if you listen, that's all I got. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they, did, they didn't do much of that they scene. Did. They I didn't thought, deliver I thought, that. Man, this kid's gonna be destroyed. Like, if I was told, yeah. And he's just like, "I know." You're like, eh, "Okay, yeah. whatever." <laughs> it happens. Dad's die. <laughs> so. Uh, the production team sent a courier to a lab in New York to have the sound and images processed. However, on the way, a journey involving two taxis and a two-hour train ride, the courier lost the sound for the scene. Oh, my gosh. You had one job. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> so they actually took out newspaper ads. They took out uh, TV ads. They took out radio ads, asking anyone who have found it, please return it, even offering a reward. In the end, although many people reported finding lost sound footage, it was never the footage from Fallen. Are these people just losing sound from all kinds of movies? Yeah, it just sounds like, like the worst so somewhere crew ever. out there, mm-hmm. there is this footage of the Fallen that people need to find. Yeah. Uh, An actual good lead scene that is like worth having. <laughs> uh, ultimately, reshooting was impossible, and it was felt ADR would not be able to recapture the emotion of the scene. The filmmakers ended up using the sound from the video assist machine. The sound was recorded on high eight tape. They sent the sound to a sound effects lab, which was able to pull up the sound to the point where it could be used in the film. Wow. So, wow, they lucked a, out. It's a hard save. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I wonder. I bet you know that guy said that the truck getting stuck was the worst day of his film. <laughs> that might have been in the second. The, that might have been the first if they could have figured that out. Yeah. It's the worst day so far. <laughs> That was the first day, but my second day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the demon vision footage in the film was shot using a film stock called Ektachrome, which is developed for stills photography. Additionally, the scenes were all shot at six frames per second and printed at 24 frames per second, meaning each frame is exposed four times. Coupled with camera movements, this technique gives a blurred, streaky quality. A mesmerizer lens was also used, which allows the camera operator to cock the lens several degrees to the left and to the right, which is very visible and very well done. Yeah. Definitely gives that disorienting kind of flavor to it. Fans made a cut of this film called Azazel, and it has an alternate ending in which Azazel does not win and also omits the narrative voiceovers. Hmm. Fallen Azazel cut. Have to find that online somewhere, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Might be worth it. So, Kyle... What do you think of this movie? You know, I, 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 met, 
I'm not going to overpraise it too much because I didn't think it was that great. But it was overall, it was a good movie. It felt like maybe it was even more appropriate for like a TV show in my mind, where like it just um, it's hard to balance the supernatural and real world stuff specifically in one story like this. Um, in, in my opinion, anyways. But overall, it was a good film. It did a solid enough effort for its performances, especially like it didn't deserve to underperform at the box office. I feel like this movie could have been perfectly fine succeeding making money because Denzel and John Goodman and Donald Sutherland are all putting in amazing performances in so it's like it's it's worth the money it's still a good production it's just not like the best film ever like it's one of those movies kind of kind of like a could have came and went without making a big splash but still could have made it a little bit of a splash so overall like I think it's a it's a pretty good film this is like a, like a three out of five movie close to a four out of five somewhere around there where like I think it's solid if not like maybe my particular shtick but I think it's still pretty good Jimbo how did you feel uh, I'll have to agree with you I, I think it's for somebody that's never seen the movie I was it kept my attention the entire time mm-hmm. um, from the opening scene where he goes in there and you know he's just basically blowing off the guy in the chamber like like whatever you know, Denzel is, and, and you're going to fry. I'll see you never, hopefully. You know what I mean? Um, the performance of him, uh, Reese, the performance of Denzel, the performance of John Goodman, Donald Southern, eh. Um, but, man, it, it, it held my attention. If you've never seen this movie, at least see it once. Um, yeah. It's very... Um, I guess a thriller is more... Or whatever. I put it in the same rank as Silence of the Lambs, I think, as far as... The genre. Oh, in terms of genre, yeah, I would agree with you on that. You know, I feel like it's like it was it bit off a little bit more than it could chew for its for its two hour runtime, and I feel like the writing just needed like another kind of like just a little bit more to it, a little more time in the oven, basically to kind of cook and get everything nailed down right, so it was clear to the audience what was happening and how every character really worked. Right, because you've I, never you never got the emotional connect of John Goodman and the little boy. You know what yeah. I mean at, at at the end of it or whatever. Um, especially when his brother died, you thought there would be more of a, a bonding moment there. And I thought, personally, I thought, um, I thought Azazel was going to go after the boy. I, I thought if they yeah. did that, this would literally destroy Denzel Washington right here, and he would just be done. And here's another question I have about this movie: He could have went in and just attached himself to Denzel at any time and, and made him do whatever he wanted and ruined his life that way. But I don't think that was his plan. His plan was, I'm going to make you self-destruct. Yeah, make you self-destruct to the point where I've destroyed everything in your life, then I'm going to kill you. That was the whole idea. Like, he wanted to play that game. Like, he's the cat and Denzel is the mouse the entire film. The you one know? thing I will say is, you could easily make a sequel to this. or even, you want. Or even a prequel. Mm-hmm. Because this is one of those movies that has this movie, and you can either go forwards or you can go backwards, and I think it could be well done either way. Yeah. You could see how Azazel started with that other officer. Yeah, yeah. Or even before that, you know, back... A long time ago, because uh, not even in the not even like the cheesy slasher way, but it's the same way of like Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger. Like this is a this is a horror villain that transcends time, where they they can appear anytime, anywhere because they have a demonic access to them. So like they exist in perpetuity. And for Azazel, especially like he's a fallen angel, like he literally beginning of all of creation to now, he is a threat that is unkillable, basically, as the right. film kind of puts out. So. And it would be cool to see if they ended up did killing him in a sequel. How that happened, you know what uh, I mean? Yeah, like, oh, the oh, no. like, what would even be the repercussions of killing as easy? <laughs> like, right. What does that even mean for the entire world if, like, essentially, the, they don't make clear, like, is he, like, the one demon still on Earth or something like that? What does that even mean for, like, his... Well, well, I would a, go deep into, like, the religiosity of it. Here's like, another question I thought. Okay, so as easy, let's say he touches somebody else that has all the other the other demons in them. And be like, mm. hey, uh, you're in my space, <laughs> bro. Yeah. You know, get out. Half of that's like, what are you doing, bro? Come on. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, yeah, they just I mean, explode and have it, to go get two different. It vessels? was a good movie. I really enjoyed it, but I know it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you should at least watch it at least once. Just I think it's thing. worth watching once too. Yeah, and I think like, like, John Goodman's performance. Yeah, and but if you don't have that song stuck in your head by the end of this movie, you will never ever have a song stuck in your head because yeah, yeah, you play that. Yeah. I play that. Time is on my side. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, thirty like, times. Like, it just it just bit off a little bit more than true. Like you know, like even like Denzel character John Hobb, like he lives in a non traditional household with his brother and his nephew and all kind of stuff. And like there's like a small there's a, almost like a small love story with Greta and John. Yeah, that was then, weird too. Then there's the whole serial killer thing, which relates to also a serial killer from like the fifties or sixties, basically. <laughs> so it's one of those things. Just like there's like it feels like there's like six or seven whole plots here kind of going on all simultaneously. And like if you're not. And uh, I like even if you're trying to finish as good as possible, you still kind of get lost in all that. Whereas like, like and I they, think everything I think, needed more room to breathe. And I think if you watch it a second time, you'd probably pick up more on that since you already knew the main plot. You know yeah, since I mean? we know so. the main plot, like maybe they get that better. But like it just to me, I felt a little lost in the moment for sure. Right. So that's why I kind of lose my recommendation for a little bit. Well, I think this episode's coming to a close. Um, looking forward to recording next week. I'm not going to say what it is right now because I want to make sure we get it done. Got to nail it down. Right. <laughs> so I uh, think that's a wrap on this episode. And Kyle, take it away. And cut. Uh,